the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good, mo- good morning. Good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you and welcome. Good morning, Tom. And uh, joining us uh, at the roundtable uh, this week, um, as uh, as promised, uh, actually it was uh, <laughs> weather permitting. <laughs> we have. Uh, <laughs> Former high-ranking government official and two presidential administrations, Mark Everson, joining us. Hi, Mark. And how is the weather down in Mississippi? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> how are you guys? No, I got all. We got all the way to where we were. Uh, oh, we were in the air and on our way to Gulfport and everything. And as you know, they had a pretty serious tornado in New Orleans, and they sent. Ultimately, they sent us back to Baton Rouge. And we gassed up, so we didn't. Didn't get home till about midnight, but that which which was about three hours later. But we were safe, and the the pilot was good. He said we're not going in. You know, he's talking about well, maybe we'll be able to get in between these fronts, and he finally said, "Well, we got to be safe." You know, and we all agreed with that. Yeah. <laughs> we were okay with that. Oh, that's like the the comedian that was telling the story about the little puddle jumper down in Hawaii that would take people from island to island and. He was going around asking everybody how much they weighed. And the guy said, why why are you asking how much we weigh? And he says, so I know how much gas to put in the plane. And he handed him a fistful of money and said, here, fill it up. It's on me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, every area of the country has different issues. But uh, down here, you get some pretty significant storms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wondered about that because when we talked, Mark, you had said, you know, uh, weather permitting, and I really didn't know there was supposed to be weather. And then next thing I know, I'm hearing about all these storms in Texas that are headed into the Gulf and and uh, 
so anyway, I'm I'm glad it worked out in that your uh, pilot used good judgment. Yeah. Um. Well, we always start the show out with a few quotes, and the first one is always where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And the quote is, there was never a good war, or what? How would you finish this? Uh, or or a bad peace? Or uh, a winnable yeah. war. That's uh, actually, you're, you're right, Paul. You, you got it right on the head. It was, uh, there was never a good war or a bad peace. And who do you think said mm. that? Winston Churchill. No, you'd think uh, so. It sounds like uh, Winston Churchill. Bernie Sanders. No, that oh. would <laughs> that that would be an interesting uh, an interesting choice to be sure. It was Benjamin Franklin. Oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah, he was always wise. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that what you really? I think that's a right word, Henry. You'd think of him as wise if you wanted to ascribe any particular quality to him. I think that's how the American people think of him. Isn't isn't that right? Yeah, he was. In many ways, he was our original statesman. There's so much we've drawn from from Franklin over the over the centuries. Yeah, I, I, I've often referred to Benjamin Franklin as uh, the original blogger. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was tweeting long before there was ever a Twitter. Um, <laughs> and we're still quoting him <laughs> 200 years later. Right. It's, it's like the, uh, the the Facebook meme that I'm so fond of, and it pops up every every so often, once or twice a year, where it says you can't believe everything you read on the Internet, and it's, it's in quotations um, ascribed to uh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I've seen that, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, here's here's a quote that uh, got my attention this week. The magnitude of Russia's cyber capacity is fairly consequential, and it's coming. Uh, Joe Biden talking to some business leaders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, President Joe Biden on Monday issued an urgent warning to American business leaders telling them to strengthen their company's cyber defenses immediately. Speaking at the Business Roundtable quarterly meeting in Washington, Biden said Russian President Vladimir Putin is likely to use cyber attacks as a form of retaliation against the United States for its actions to counter Russia's incursion on Ukraine. Um, Does the computer age change the way conflicts escalate? Oh, I think so. Uh, I mean, the, the, now the damage could be incredible when you think about it, and, well, and proving who did it can be can, can be tough too. It's the speed with which the internet communicates information, so that's uh, a no-brainer. But in the old oh. days, they had to. There were long distances and delays between uh, reactions to information. Well, that, that's exactly right. And and uh, when a British uh, warship showed up, you knew who was coming after you. Uh, whereas the problem with the cyber stuff is, you can ascribe it to a state, but it may not be. It's uh, and you know you see some of the mistakes we've made in the recent past on intelligence and uh, you know Iraq and everything else. And this is an area where. They'll move quickly, but you've got to make sure you've got real information as to who's doing what. Uh, yeah. Very, I, mean, I think it's very tricky. 
Yeah, you know, it could be a state actor, but it could be that traditional 400-pound guy in his basement who's playing on his laptop. You know, and that's that's the real risk about that kind of stuff. And you think about it, I mean, you know, what what if somebody could shut down our banking system or the power grid? I mean, the damage would be almost worse than you could have with a traditional military attack. Or cause a <clears throat> nuclear accident at a power plant. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> or shut down a major uh, American hospital where many people are killed. Uh, that yeah. would shake the confidence of the whole country. You know, when, when, when you think about it, this, this <clears throat> warning from President Biden about potential Russian cyber attacks is a lot more frightening to me than the talk I've seen on, on cable news shows about whether or not uh, uh, Putin is, is likely to engage nuclear weapons. No, I, I, or I gas agree. warfare. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's, the cyber thing is more, more likely, and, and again, could be almost as devastating if it was carried out to a full extent. So that's, that's true. It's interesting. I was on the plane last night, and I was sitting next to a guy who works for one of the very biggest defense contractors, and he, he was saying that their concern had been that for the last 20-plus years, we've been fighting the war on terrorism and that we have not worried about the traditional threats and, you know, rejiggered our capabilities, been upgrading our capabilities. And I I think this is uh, this whole issue of what's been going on with Putin and everything is it's it's pulling back the uh, curtain on a bunch of things that we need to be looking at. And the cyber is right in the mix. It really is. You know, an interesting sidebar to this is I think that uh, that Putin and and other leadership in Russia are learning some lessons about the status of their infrastructure and and uh, equipment and and personnel um yeah at least they're thinking about it well they don't do yeah anything. i've been they're surprised at, at at how often um ukrainians have been able to stop advancing russians and and how often some of the transport vehicles have been breaking down. Just yeah, yeah, I say that they, they've really had some, I mean, I mean, they, they may not in the end succeed, but they've had a remarkable success so far that you wouldn't have expected a month ago. So uh, the, 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 the traditional Russian military power may not be what we once thought it was. Well, and that determination is well demonstrated by the women who put on helmets and yeah. And stand guard with their rifles and say, "Hey, you shall not have my space." It's um, it, it's been interesting because when Ukraine first sort of stood up and said, "You know, we're not going to bolt. We're going to defend our our turf," and it, it seemed, "Oh, that's you know admirable," but. Russia's going to ramp it up and just roll right over top of them. And Russia started ramping it up, but the roll never really came. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah, but that, that, that's true. But the, the response on the Russian side has been now to increase the bombings. And the yeah. devastation here is, is, is it's horrific. And it is. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Uh, if you could, could have sent that column in and... Kevin fallen and 
then you could supply it and have your command and control, uh, the damage would have been far less, if you will. But what's happening now is just it's just remarkable. It's uh, really yeah. It's as a I say, from a, from a military right. point of view, it seemed like when you want to conquer a country, you go in and pick up, conquer the military bases, government buildings. But here, they're just reaching out for civilian buildings, hospitals, childcare centers. Things but like there's that. another side to that story. Think about the people who are watching this, like we are, from our homes and stuff like that. And the Russians move in, and they're killing people, old people, women, children, uh, like shooting fish in a barrel. The sentiment of the rest of the world turns against that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, uh, there's been a trend, because of technology largely, to con conduct attacks on uh, on cities and in countries with with drones, and and mm. there's been this sense that you know even piloted aircraft that it was sort of remote control welfare or warfare, and it took some of the horror out of it, at least for the people conducting the attacks. Yeah, it was like a like a video game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and I think Putin is kind of bringing back the horrors of war, and without that, what is the incentive to stop? Well, the rest of the world is looking at it. They're becoming very, very critical. Even people throughout the world. I, I, often, I often wonder if the pressure on on the oligarchs and some of the other powers that be within Russia are going to make a difference in terms of, of them leaning on Putin to change his course. Because, I mean, the internal pressures have got to be building. It's going to take some time, but they've got to be building in Russia to, in terms of just what's happening to their economy. I, you know, I think that's important, but I think the real issue is the military. Every indication is that they sent conscripts over the border, which they sort of internally said they weren't going to do. I think this is, you know, there are some people who are deserting and so on and so forth. I think this comes down to if the generals see their their forces being totally mm. destroyed over the course of this, that's where some pressure comes back on them at some point. Uh, I, good you point. Know, yeah. And and, and uh, you know, uh, reading on this, you, you mentioned Tom the, the nukes. You you just wonder how what kind of continuum is there? I mean, Biden has a lot of people around him. There's a lot of people who tend to agree with him, but but he gets this is a free country, and there's a lot of input he gets on each and every decision that he makes. They're very it's pretty transparent. The pushback Putin doesn't have that, and uh, I, I, I that's what I worry about all this uh, it, as he gets more and more cornered because yeah, he's just trying to pound him back into the Stone Age. Use that old term. You know, it's amazing that the population ratio between uh, Russia and Ukraine is about a fourth. Or maybe it's less. They have 45 million and Russia has 160, 70 million, is it? About that? Look at the ratio. Yeah, I'm not sure. They the can't beat these guys. Right, Henry. I think you're in the ballpark probably. Yeah. And they can't, they can't beat these guys up as small as their numbers are. Well, you know, we've learned, even in our own history, that sometimes a very small country who's willing to fight a guerrilla war can 
give a, a larger country a hard time. Look at Vietnam. We've got, we got a break right here, but we'll come back with more right Everybody's after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? 
Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue uh, this week's uh, edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. And uh, we'll move on to another quote that got my, uh, that caught my attention this week. I am particularly mindful of not speaking to policy issues because I am so committed to staying in my lane. Oh, good judge, new judge. I knew. Yep, yep. President, President Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji <clears throat> Brown-Jackson, defending her judicial record yesterday as she faced intense questioning from Republican senators during the second day of her historic confirmation <clears throat> hearings. Is Justice Jackson facing stricter scrutiny in her current confirmation process? You know, she's been through this a couple, couple, three times already. But is it a little more intense this time because it's the Supreme Court or because it's on television? <laughs> I'll go with the second answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Well, you know, I, I had some reservations that after hearing some of the cases that she's heard and the positions that she's taken in the past. In some ways, I have to... Tucker Carlson <laughs> may have been right. Uh, some of her responses were shallow and not clear. So when you go to the Supreme Court, you want your best out there. Even African Americans want their best out there. What, what strikes me about the TV is that so much of it was mostly primarily speeches by the by the members of the committee and, and as you say, Henry, relatively brief responses by the uh, by the Supreme Court justice. So yes. I, uh, it was more a matter of an opportunity to yeah. give a give a speech for your voters back home. Yeah, you want your people to be the best out there for the Supreme Court because they will set a precedent that will last for years and years in the future. And that's what I'm afraid for some of these leaders that we pushed up and have not scrutinized well will do for the Democrat Party. Or for the Republican Party. Right. Look, I haven't seen any of the hearings. I've read summaries of it, of course. And uh, She obviously is qualified and handles herself very well. The interesting issue here was, if if you believe what I've I've read, is that they they had this other woman from South Carolina who was more moderate, if you will, and and, and people came and said, no, don't go with that. And then they sort of pushed her off the... Uh, from consideration, but this woman's very qualified. The other thing I don't get is, you read all this and they say Republicans doing this and that. Well, there's several people, Hawley in particular, who are sort of uh, going after her. But when Chuck Grassley uh, says, "Do you believe that uh, you know conservatives get the same rights of free speech as liberals?" and people act as if that's horrifying. Well, Chuck <laughs> asked me much the same. He asked me much the same question when I was being confirmed for IRS commissioner in 2003. Oh. It's, just, it's just how they work. You know, they say, mm-hmm. are you gonna, they want to know, are you going to be even-handed and fair and everything? So I don't think she's been per- asked particularly difficult questions thus far. And, and, you know, it's been ever since Bork. I was in the Reagan administration when the Bork uh, thing happened. Ever since that confirmation hearing that we have less and less 
meaningful conversations during the hearing process just because the nominee knows I better keep it pretty well zipped. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think Bork changed yeah. everything. Once that hearing took place, yeah. all of a sudden it became a matter of just surviving the, the hearing. Yes, exactly. So it's a little bit of show, and uh, <clears throat> uh, they haven't laid a glove on her as far as I can figure <clears throat> out. Now, one of the things that would be a difficult question, how do you define a man and a woman? Which one? And I don't think a response was very good on that, but uh, <clears throat> but we all know that definitions are based on what we all collectively believe. And there's no indication out there that there's a collective uh, decision that has been made about what makes a man and a woman, not in this climate. So she was, she was right to be cool on that one. Well, there were a number of times, and I didn't see as much of it as, as I often do when these things come up. And But I... I was listening quite a bit on the radio as I was out doing some meetings and errands yesterday. And um, the there were a couple of people who got in some pretty good shots, and I, I couldn't help rooting for her. I, she, she seemed like the mental giant in the room at one point, <laughs> especially when Ted Cruz went into his uh, children's book um, oh yes, <laughs> tirade. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought he was going to start reading Doctor Seuss or something. Um, I, uh, along the same lines, I got a kick out of the uh, the Facebook posting. Somebody said that they're pretty sure she's not going to cry and say "I love beer" <laughs> during the hearing. <laughs> nope. I saw a comic this morning with. Uh, Kavanaugh following her and it looked like she was moving her stuff in and she had all these law books and briefcases and you know briefing packets and stuff on a on a hand cart and she's pushing this stuff along and Kavanaugh is trailing behind her with a case of beer <laughs> and, and the caption said what no beer <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, some some of these things are a little bit fun, and and a lot of people have been talking about uh, a lot of the pundits anyway have been, you know, referring to it as theater, and and it is theater. But yes, it is. let me let me just say this, Tom. Uh, I I was in D.C. That's where I was flying yeah. from, and I had a meet, I had a meeting yesterday morning with a senator, and uh, and we were talking, of course, about. Uh, taxes the irs and then we were talking about the war this subject did not come up it's not of interest uh, people know where it's headed uh, unless you're on judiciary and trying to you know further um, sort of oh develop your own reputation like cruz or Hawley or something it's not i don't think it's a big subject right now up there with everything else that's going on well yeah, it's a foregone true. it's a foregone conclusion yeah, she's got the support to to win it, and there's no all the stuff that comes up right now is an afterthought. And like I said, it looks like she's going to get at least a, a few Republicans across over yes. and support her. Maybe more than a few, but it's at least a few. So, I think yeah. that's right. She'd be tough, and to that should be good. If she gets a few yeah. Republicans, that that will stabilize the country a little bit. But I if think it's we all get just back to it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think we just got to get back to where these votes are. 80 to 20 or 60 yeah. to 40. I mean, 
they, they don't have to be, uh, it shouldn't be that way, and it respects the authority of the president. What, who's, we, we elect different presidents from different parties, and uh, that should be reflected in the court to some degree. That's all I would say. Well, yeah, and th- exactly. there used to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a leadership maxim of, you know, he needs to pick his own team. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a little different yeah. when it's a Supreme Court nomination, you know, as opposed to other um, items that come up mm-hmm. under advising consent. But, um, but like, you know, like Mark said, showing respect to the president and, and his choices and the power that is given to him by the Constitution. And as Mark said, I mean, historically, it used to be, you know, 80-20 or even 90-10. I mean, a, a near-unanimous or very heavy majority usually supported most, most nominees. There were some exceptions over the years, but until, like I say, until probably the Bork nomination in the late 80s, it was pretty much a relatively automatic process for the president to get his nominees on the court. And, and to Mark's know, point, um, there was uh, at least one senator... Um, and and I, I wish I could remember which one. Um, I want to say it was it was a woman from one of the Midwestern states. But in any event, she said, "Whenever I get into these uh, <laughs> these Senate confirmation hearings, I always have two questions. So I'll ask them of you." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it was just. It was it was funny to me because it was like what Mark said is everybody knows what they're gonna what they're gonna ask what they're gonna say what they're gonna drill down on, and, right? And so it does become kind of a, a show for the cameras if they can. And I there were a couple times I thought she could have uh, come back a little tougher than she did, but she's walking a real tight wire. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, she doesn't want to be combative, uh, probably, at this point. Well, it's still she, tough for women to be aggressive in, well, in that kind true. of a setting. For some women, hang on, some women, to be aggressive. But there are some aggressive women out there. Oh, I, I'm not saying that there aren't, but it works against them. And so yes. she's smart not to fall into that, not to... I would agree with that. Not to give anybody well, that ammunition. The other thing, this uh, woman, what I've read about her, she spent her entire life working hard to fit in within the system. Yes, yes. she's liberal. Yes. But yes. She, has, she, was, she said, I was getting an education. She wasn't out on the streets uh, demonstrating, with, with, which many mm-hmm. other people were. And I, I would suspect, since she knows she's getting in, that what she's really doing, which is a positive thing, is, she is helping redefine the court for the American people by being dignified. If you start to get, ah, uh, yeah, you know, snooty or something like that, a certain number of people will say, "Wow, I don't like that." But she, if she heals herself well, it sort of helps the court's image. And I, and all those, whatever you want to say about the nine people on the Supreme Court, they're all very. Uh, I think, loyal to the institution, if you will. And she's already acting like she's a justice, so I think. You know, you know and I believe that everybody, despite of what party nominates them and gets them concerned, that gets selected for the Supreme Court, do intend to be somewhat independent because that's right. what the courts require. Don't you that's think... A platform. Don't you and I think that... The, don't you think she has the potential to surprise conservatives the way that uh, 
Amy Coney Barrett surprised liberal? I think so. That's, that's right. a possibility. Yeah. In that's fact, a possibility. There's a his- history of, of judges, and if you look at judges in the past, there were more than a few were nominated on the assumption they were a strong liberal or a strong conservative. And once they got there, all of a sudden they began to change. Uh, Earl Warren was a good example of that, among among others. Uh, you know, once he got there, he really saw the, the world in a different kind of light. And they know that they represent the interest of the American people, not the interest of political parties or party bosses, but the American people. I think that's I think right. And, no, and... and um, if you look at her background, it's a very interesting background. She, Yes, she was a public defender, uh, but lots of issues come up that are pertinent to that assignment. But she also has police officers in her family. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so um, I, I yeah. applaud the appointment on a number of levels. I mean, are there other people who I might have picked ahead of her? Yes. But, uh, but you, it's hard to argue with the appointment in terms of her her intellect, her qualities, and her life story, I, I would have to say. Well, I want to I wanna try and squeeze in a few, uh, a few local things before we move on to some state and national headlines. And, and I know this is always Mark's favorite part, and I wonder when he's been in Washington <laughs> and he's been, <laughs> been talking with people if... if um, if he shares any any of the weird uh, and wacky stuff that Flint pulls in its, in its various uh, political activities, well, I it hasn't come up thus far, Tom. I, hate to say. <laughs> I, I just I just There's have this always picture. A Flint City Council. <laughs> yeah, I just have this picture of Mark saying, "You won't believe the politics in Flint, Michigan." Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the city council has restarted an investigative hearing into the awarding of a multi-million dollar waste collection contract in 2021 and plans to hear from Mayor Sheldon Neely later this week. The council heard testimony from current purchasing director Lauren Rowley and chief financial officer Robert Whittigan in a hearing on Monday. But both officials said they had little information to offer on the bidding process that led to a three-year, $19.7 million contract for priority waste of Clinton Township. Department of Public Works Director Michael Brown and former CFO uh, Chevy Freyer are scheduled to testify um, I guess they were scheduled to testify yesterday, and Neely and Transportation Director John Daly are supposed to appear tomorrow. A city spokeswoman said Monday that Neely plans to voluntarily attend and participate in Thursday's hearing. What, Paul, do you have any idea what the, the goal of this investigation is? I have no idea at all. I mean, I'd say I... Uh, when they when they finally got the contract, uh, everything I've heard about the service has been fine. We, I live in Flint, and we've had no problems with their service. So I I've, I've heard almost no a hint of scandal or anything about the about the, the initial contract. So I I was surprised to hear that, unless it's just the traditional friction between the council and the mayor's office. Maybe maybe an issue there, but other than that, I don't really know. You know, I, I think the digging up skeletons going back again and again, rehearsing this stuff, puts the city in a very precarious position for coming out of its hole that's been, bringing in new businesses, developing good schools, and providing help, 
public safety because you're always going back and, and studying uh, narratives of the past that yeah, should be I, settled and done. I think I think in one sense you're right, Henry. I think it it just adds to the image of the the chaos and flint kind of image, whether it's this particular issue or or these endless council meetings that they've been having for recent months where they go on for 10 or 12 hours and accomplish nothing of any consequence. So, I I mean, I think it, it hurts the image in a lot of ways. Whether or not there's any substance to this investigation, I really I really don't know, but it's more of the, the chaos in City Hall. Well, there was a process that the people who served on those boards and committees to carry out uh, this order or function or this action, that were, they were duly qualified and they were duly ordained and they did the job. Uh, so uh, it's done. And whether there was some significant uh, misappropriation or <clears throat> move, that uh, that should all be done after they settled it. And the By the way, did anybody... That, go, go ahead, Henry. And the courts have ruled that have not uh, criticized them for the process. Did anybody happen to notice that John Daly is leaving his position in Flint and taking a, a somewhat similar one in Lapeer County? And yeah, I, again, I, I saw have, that. I have no idea whether there's any connection or not. But actually, let's timing. let's let's jump ahead to that a little for for just a moment because don't forget um, to settle this one on the contract. It's still open. Well, I still, I, I, I still yeah. don't know what the goal of of yeah. restarting this investigation is, um, and and there are a couple other things that that I want to squeeze in. But let's let's go ahead and pick up on uh, John Daly going over to Lapeer okay. County Road Commission. You know what crossed my mind because he he left. The, um, well, first of all, just to put it in context, um, he has been serving. I don't know what two years maybe. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, at at so. the city of Flint in <clears throat> the transportation director position, which I don't remember there ever being before. And mm. he took that position after being very unceremoniously forced out of the Genesee County Road Commission, right. where he'd been right. for 18 years. And so I, after setting this up that, you know, he was at the Genesee County Road Commission, they had a bad breakup, and then all of a sudden there was a position for him in the city of Flint, and now that there's a, a position at the Road Commission in Lapeer County, he's going over there. My question is, do you think that uh, the position of transportation director will actually get filled? Oh, <laughs> or, will it, or will it just disappear into the yeah. end of the... Or was exactly. it just a holding pattern for John? Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The mayor had... Uh, he, he... Let's see. What, what did he say? I didn't put a lot of his quotes in here, but the city's announcement says Daly's last day as transportation director will be April 2nd. Um, uh, Mayor Sheldon Neely confirmed Daly's departure in a statement on Tuesday. Um, 
Yeah, I didn't. He he had some quotes about his contributions to the city that seemed mm. a little bit. Why wasn't his departure made on April first? <laughs> you know, that's a good question because April first yeah. is a Friday, and um, I I don't know why his last day would be a Saturday. Well, there's some significance to April 1st, too, as you recall. Kids love it. <laughs> you, you, you were referring to April Fool's Day or something else, Henry. <laughs> uh, you know, by the way, I, again, I, I I don't know the answer to this, but, of course, John, John Daly is also on the Mont Board of Trustees, and I wonder, will he be moving to Lapeer County? And if so, will that open up that position on the Mont Board? I don't know. You know that's a good question. Although, is our positions on the Mott board um, uh, residency? Are there residency requirements for that? You know, I don't it know. Appears, it appears to be. Yeah, I certainly would think they yeah. would be expected to live in the district, yeah. and Lapeer is outside the district. If, if he should, but if he does, should move there. But does the community college have an actual district? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's roughly the shape of Genesee County. It's actually it's the ISD, so it's it's really larger than yeah. Yeah, we have a Mott College a subsidiary in Kyle. That's right, and and if you live in the district, you pay one tuition. You live outside the district, you pay a higher tuition. So yeah. there is a formal district to the college. Uh, we have one in Owasso and one in Lapeer as well. Yeah. But, but the, the Lapeer one is outside the district. Lapeer County mm. had a chance to join so, some years ago and chose not to. But so if, if he should move to Lapeer County, and, and nearly all of Lapeer County at least, he'd be outside the district. Well, let me see if I can squeeze this one in before we go to break again. Former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder and four other indicted defendants in the Flint water crisis have waived their Fifth Amendment rights in a Flint-related civil trial and must testify, a federal judge ruled Monday. But U.S. District Judge Judith Levy said she will hear further arguments on whether Snyder and the other defend defendants must answer questions beyond those asked in their civil de uh, depositions, and if so, which ones appeals of Levy's ruling are possible. Do you think they'll testify or not? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh... I, I still wonder if they'll find some way to avoid it. I don't. I, I don't really know the answer. <clears throat> Any thoughts, Henry, on that? We'll, we'll, we'll well, you know, and the sooner this whole thing is over, the quicker Flint can get back to resolving the problems that he has. And uh, I believe <clears throat> that we should go through and and have this investigation and get it over with. Uh, apparently, people are not willing to get rid of. Uh, draining the treasury in Lansing. To use a few water words. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, the strange thing is this, this this stuff is taking forever. I mean, this has been going on for, what, eight years now almost. And uh, we're still, we still have all kind of cases in the pipeline. Yeah. Well, but the I'm, sooner it's over, the better we are going to be, the better the state of Michigan is going to be. Well, on that note, we're going to take a uh, 
a short break and uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV uh, LP, our voices radio 92.1 FM Flint, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, let's see, where do we... uh, where did we leave off at? We were just uh, finishing up on some of the uh, some of the local things. Um, yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up. This is another one of those uh, weird stories that Mark can share with uh, <laughs> with with people who might get a kick out of some of the things that go on in. Hey, Tom, wait a minute. I want to stick up for Mississippi here. We have just as much colorful. <laughs> I, you know, I remember the late Pat Clawson. Um, he, he used to uh, do. Um, uh, he was with CNN Radio for a while. He was from the Flint area, and he said, "You know, I was out on the East Coast. And I can't remember which state it was, but they had a part-time legislature." And he said. They're part-time, and they could screw it up just as bad as the full-timers back here. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Kathy Funk, the count, this is a story we've been following uh, the last few weeks as it has evolved. Kathy Funk, the county's elections supervisor, has been placed on unpaid administrative leave after having been charged with felony ballot tampering crimes earlier this month. In an email to the County Human Resources Department, Clerk Register John Gleason said he has placed Funk on uh, leave effective immediately and requested a future review of this status and appropriate transitions in the future. Last week, the County Board of Commissioners demanded that Gleason suspend Funk without pay and asked Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson to temporarily take over oversight of local elections until Funk's criminal case and an internal investigation of Gleason by commissioners are complete. What are these investigations likely to to uncover? Mm. Oh, with respect to Gleason or with respect to uh, the township uh, yes. individual? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes to both. both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think oh. you're starting to see kind of the, uh, the yeah, wagon circling around something merge, yeah. <laughs> well, uh-huh. the, the thing becomes more and more suspicious the more it evolves because um, she committed these acts allegedly while she was the township was it supervisor or clerk uh, the, the, the clerk opens yeah 
Yeah, she was a clerk, I think, and she was running yeah, for re-election. She was, she was up for yeah. re-election, and yeah. and this tampering occurred uh, allegedly. There and there is something about a break-in at the office, and so on. Yeah, and and she, I think she won the election by about sixty or so votes, a relatively modest amount. And but then they couldn't do a recount because of the break-in at the office. Right, right, right. and then. She um, just drops the position and takes a job with the county, given to her by the clerk register, John Gleason. Now the Board of Commissioners is investigating Gleason, and this investigation has followed her into that new position, and so she's had to be, uh, you know, suspended uh, without pay, um... And and uh, and and it hangs there. But it's interesting that the board of commissioners um, decided there wasn't anybody in Gleason's office that could uh, oversee the uh, local elections. So they they went right to the secretary of state and said, yeah, I, "Can you I, come I, in I and take care of this for us?" But is the, is she getting her due process before they suspend her with pay? What about due process? Before the court, doesn't she have to be at least well, allegedly I mean, with, with, guilty? We know with with police officers when there's an incident there, they are they're commonly suspended with pay till somebody investigates yeah. what actually happened. But this so is specifically true. without pay. Yeah, yeah, this is typically without pay. That's why okay. I question the due process. Not that <clears throat> I'm not on either anybody's side here. I'm just questioning the process because if the process fails here, it's likely to fail again. But, but I think what's also true is that I'm afraid Gleason has made some enemies on the, on the county board. Yes. And maybe that's coming coming home to yeah. list as well. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, 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 I think so. It's, uh, I mean, between this incident and then the, the previous one a month or so ago about the uh, Matthew Smith recall, it's the squabble over how, the, uh, how they, they, kept, they counted the signatures involved recent as well. So, I mean, some of these have kind of bubbled up, and I think they've kind of ruffled some feathers on the county board against Gleason, have caused them to come out against Gleason. Is my guess. I don't know. Yeah, there's uh, one other quick thing um, locally before we, we move on is, um, and this was the first I read about it, that uh, Genesee County Circuit Court Judge Duncan Beagle is retiring at the end of oh. this year. And it, a familiar face, it wasn't a familiar face to me, but maybe to some people that, that run in those circles, um, is running for the soon-to-be uh, vacant seat on Genesee County's 7th Circuit Court bench. Rebecca Jerva Bryn, an assistant prosecuting attorney with the Genesee County Prosecutor's Office for the past 16 years, announced earlier this month she is running to fill the seat that will be vacated by Duncan Beagle when he retires at the end of this year. I didn't know he was retiring. My, anyway, no, my, that's news to me as well. I had not heard that. My question, well, he's been on the bench long enough to retire. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and he's... Been a tremendous public servant. My question yeah, is: Yeah, a solid guy. Anyway, yeah. and very much loved by de- Democrats, Republicans, school districts, uh, sportscasters. Who knows? It, Black and white. If this, well um, 
it, it, my my question about all of this is uh, if this turns out to be an open seat, is it going to attract a lot of candidates? Yes, it will. Oh, I think so. Yeah, if it's an open seat, the judicial seats are, are rarely an open contest. And there's not much point in running against an incumbent for judicial seats most of the time. But an open seat, yeah, I think any uh, a good many ambitious attorneys will take a look at that one this, this time around. So. You would think that some of the district judges would move up to... Uh, that, or, or that, too. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see here. I think I think maybe I can get this one in. Governor Gretchen Whitmer rejected Republican-backed proposals to cut income taxes and pause a state tax on gasoline, arguing the bills will require budget cuts to essential services. Whitmer's uh, Friday veto announcement illustrates the different visions held by the Democratic governor and Republican-majority legislature when it comes to reducing taxes. She's pushed for uh, tripling a tax credit for low-income workers and rolling back taxes on retirement income, while Republicans are pushing Whitmer to go further to meet her pledge of providing immediate financial relief. The tax negotiations quickly became a political talking point. Both the governor and legislature are up for uh, election this year. GOP, uh, GOP groups issued statements casting Whitmer's veto announcement as a war on families. Michigan Republicans like State Representative Matt Hall, a Republican from Marshall, chair of the House uh, Tax Policy Committee, criticized Whitmer for passing up an opportunity to cut taxes now. Whitmer called the Republican tax cuts fiscally irresponsible and unsustainable. She expressed hope for a bipartisan solution and called for more negotiations in her veto letter. Is a bipartisan solution possible in an election year? <laughs> I would you know, have to um, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but guys, um, looking at what the governor is on this, she knows that the tax cuts have to be paid for and you've got to pay yeah, money right. out of some of those line items. And she is, uh, without taking a partisan view here, I'm going to take an open view of this. And Democrats and Republicans know, uh, the leadership know that they must work together, have a confab, and decide how to best handle this issue that uh, the people of Michigan can live with. Other than that, do you know, we're going to create more distress. Yeah, let, me, let me jump in here on this one, because right there in Mississippi, which has a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican governor, there's a real fight going on right now about the income tax, because the Speaker wants to get rid of it entirely, and the President of the Senate wants to move more uh, at a different pace. And uh, part of this discussion hinges on the fact that this is such an extraordinary time with a lot of money has flown into state coffers. Uh, there are real arguments about it is how stable or how much do we know about state finances across the country because yeah. of the, the billions of dollars that have been thrown in from Washington. And, uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's necessary to move fairly carefully in these times in particular, regardless of what policy you advocate on taxes. 
Yeah, yeah I agree. It's, it's, I it's, agree. We've it's, talked about it's a, good, it's a good campaign slogan to cut taxes, but you're going to pay for it in the end uh, all too soon. Well, and we've Especially talked the, about this for several weeks, <clears throat> Mark, you know, cautioning uh, municipalities and state governments to, you know, be careful what kind of cuts they make because this money, the money that you referred to, you know, the billions of dollars is flowing into their coffers is temporary. When it's gone, it's gone. And yeah, if you it, cut your revenue stream, and this has been a battle of the tax cuts in Michigan ever since the governor's uh, state of the state message a couple of months ago. Um, and and well, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. It's go, going back to your little, uh, your lighthearted commercial in the break. Sooner or later, <laughs> you run out of tequila. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, we've got to take a short break for uh, show ID, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 